0: Father, we're here to worship you this morning and to worship your Son, whom you sent. And Lord, we know that it is in Christ alone that our salvation is made sure. It is in Christ alone that we have hope. It is Christ alone who washes us clean of our sins. It is Christ alone who will see us into life eternal with you. And so, Father, we're here to give thanks this morning. God, we pray as we open your word that you would speak to us through Paul and your spirit about what it, what, who this Christ is, who he really is, and why he, it can be him alone that we can find our assurance and our salvation. And so God, speak to us this morning. Be with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. You can be seated. It's good to be back with you guys this morning. I was at the men's retreat last week, and we had a good time, And uh, but yeah, it's good to be good to be with you. I miss you guys and I'm not there. And, you know, the men's retreat, it was fun because I felt like we were kind of reconnecting for the first time after, after COVID. It's kind of, you know, you forget how much we haven't seen one another. And it just reminded me when we gather together as the body of Christ on Sunday mornings, make sure that you connect with people. Make sure that you're reaching out and saying hi and encouraging one another. And we got a lot of things going on in the church. I'll just list a few for you. Uh, This morning we have a missions meeting right after the service today. The youth group is going to be sending their kids to Guatemala to work with Tono's Church down there, and uh, we're excited about that. We have a little over 50 people signed up for this interest meeting, so I'm, I'm excited about that. We got Operation Christmas Child boxes in the back. Last week you guys took all of them. Well, they brought some more, so if you haven't grabbed one, grab one so that you can fill them up and help bless families around the world. And then finally, we've been asking you for some feedback on kind of what we've been doing over the summer and this fall about one service, and thank you to the many of you that have been reaching out to us. Had some really good discussions about what life has been like for you and as a church, and really, this is a family discussion, right, about how we're going to do church on Sunday mornings and things, and we want to hear from you. In fact, when we have our family meeting on, like we normally do in November, on November 20th, we're going to have a discussion about this, and we want you to be there and be a part of it. We know there's some things we'd like to change. We will make some changes, but we want to hear from you, so make sure that you are there and that you are uh, talking with us about that. Now, as we've heard, we're continuing in our series in Colossians, talking about the image of the invisible, and this is kind of the key passage today on this. So if you will, grab your Bible and turn to Colossians one fifteen through 29. If you don't know where Colossians is, I always remember this as a kid, General Electric Power Company, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, you can find it at the end of that. Now last week, Pastor Kevin kicked us off looking at Colossians 1, 1 through 14, and Paul says a couple great things about the Colossians there. One, he, he's giving thanks for their faith. He's heard how they've accepted the gospel, and they're living it out. And that brings his heart a lot of joy. And so he's giving thanks. And then he, in, in light of that, he's praying for them that they would grow in their understanding, their spiritual understanding and knowledge, and walk in the ways that God has called them to walk. And then finally, he talks about our salvation, that we have been transferred from darkness into the light because of what Christ has done, into the kingdom of the Son where Jesus is, where we find redemption and forgiveness. This is the real-life transformation that we talk about at a church, that our hearts and our minds, everything about us would be completely changed as Christ transforms our hearts when we give our lives to Him. And this week, Paul is going to really drill down in and tell us more about his Son, Who is His Son? Everything about His Son. Why it is that we can trust in Christ alone. It's the key passage of this book and one of the best in the Bible. What Paul is going to show us is that Christ is preeminent above all things. That means He surpasses all things. He's greater than all things. He's deserving of all glory and all honor because He is Lord. And when we see that, our response to him should be to give him our lives and to worship him with all that we are. This is why we've said at Risen Life that a a risen life is a life of worship. That as a disciple of Christ, we're becoming worshipers of Christ. That's what we have on our discipleship wheel. And today's passage will show us just how big Jesus is and how we should respond to him. And really, Paul is working at this question that we, that we all have to ask. Who is Jesus? We've talked about this before. Who is he? Right? Is he, is he a crazy man? Is he even real? Is he a good teacher? Did he teach some nice morals? Or is he more than a man? Is he possibly God? And the answer to that question will determine how we will live our lives and how we will spend eternity in the future. And so now let's take a look at Colossians 1, 15 through 20, where it talks about who is Jesus, the Bible, what the Bible claims about Christ. In these five verses, there's really about five amazing things, important things it says about Jesus. Many scholars believe these five verses to have been a hymn or a poem that the New Testament church would have memorized and said to one another, maybe even sung to one another. And so I would encourage you, These are five great verses to memorize. People ask you, what do you believe about Jesus? These five verses. They tell us what to believe. And so um, we will look at this. So let's, I want us to stand as we read this again. These are some of the best verses in the Bible, and honor God's word this morning and what it's saying to us. I'm going to read these first five verses, and I want us to hear them and honor what it's saying. So, Paul has just said, We've been transferred into the kingdom of the Son. He has given us redemption and forgiveness. And then, this is what he says about the Son He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through Him or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So let's look at these five things. First thing that Colossians tells us is that Christ is the image of the invisible God. We know that in Genesis 1.27 it tells us that we were created in the image of God, all of humanity, and in various ways we all reflect that by the things that we do. We, like God, have the ability to imagine something and then to bring it about. We can take the raw materials of the earth and bring it about. I thought about this as I remember building a treehouse for my kids a couple years ago, right? I conceived of this treehouse, what I wanted it to look like, this special beam I wanted to have so they could have a little rope pulley, and then, then me and my father and some help from my boys, we built it. Right? That is a God-like thing that we can bring things about. But God is more because He makes things out of nothing. All right? We take what God has made and makes things, but God is more. Paul here is claiming that Jesus is more. He is not just a likeness like God. Rather, He is the likeness of God. Okay? As Hebrews one three says, He is the Radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. In other words, Jesus is not merely like God as we are, but rather he is God himself. I want you to see this. He is the tangible manifestation of God on the earth. As we know, God the Father is often shrouded in mystery in the Bible. The Bible says this itself. 1 Timothy 1.17, when Paul is giving praise to God, he says, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. And then it goes on to say, But there's one who's at the Father's side who has made God known. Can't see something invisible. Right. Kids, can we see things that are invisible? No, we, uh, one, one person can. I'll refer you to a movie when you're older called The Sixth Sense. We'll let your parents deal with that. <laughs> so God makes himself known through Christ. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. In his coming to us, we know exactly what God is like. That's what this is saying to us. And so why would this matter to us? Why is this important? Think about this. You ever wonder what God is like? <laughs> A lot of discussions about that in our world. We we all kind of innately know there's something outside of ourselves that's bigger than us. The world says that. The systems of the world say there's something bigger than us. We're pretty finite. And man, over many thousands of years, have tried to figure out who God is to, to reach up to God and under understand him, and we've often made images of him from things from creation, from animals to forces of nature. Sometimes we've even made God images of God out of men, things that we think, man, those are really good attributes. He must be godlike. We kind of had this a little bit with the queen, right? The queen seemed like she was immortal, <laughs> but she's just a woman like we are. And so different gods of the world we've seen, they have different characteristics, they're all how humans are trying to conceive God, we're trying to reach out and figure out what He's like, but an invisible God can only be known if He reveals Himself to us. And the Bible is claiming that when Jesus came, this revealed God to us. He is not an impersonal force like Mother Nature or the universe or karma, he is a person that wants to be known, and he wants to be known by us. Because of his great love for us, Jesus came down and made God fully known to us. You know, it kind of makes me think of this show, you know, The Mass Singer. I'm sure some of you watch that out there and they create these wacky costumes, right? And they all say something about the singer underneath, and you can kind of think like creation's kind of like that. It says something about God, and then ultimately at the end of the show, they take off the mask, and there's the singer, right? That's what Jesus is. It's the revelation of who God is. Here he is. This is God. God shows us exactly what he is like, his perfect representation of what he is like. And what this means for us is that we have a God that is knowable, and He wants to know you. In fact, the Bible says you want to know God, then you look at Jesus. You look at everything that He did. God came in a way that we could see Him, we could touch Him, we could talk with Him, we could be hugged by Him and experience life with Him. This means every word spoken by Jesus recorded in the Bible, every action recorded about him, reveals his character, even the funny stuff. You ever think about this, that God created humor? And you can't tell me that 12 guys sitting around a table didn't say some funny stuff, right? (laughs) And God laughed at it. Jesus laughed at it. And yet his mission of redemption reveals the very heart of God towards humanity. I love how First John begins, he gets at this. First John says to us, look at guys, that which was from the beginning, speaking about Jesus, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we've touched it with our hands. This life was made manifest, talking about Jesus, and you can have fellowship with him and the Father. That's how you know God. Because Jesus came, this means that you can know God, and God wants to have a relationship with you. That's why He came. He didn't want to remain transcendent and apart. He wanted to know you personally. And we can make a note here about the second part of Colossians 1.15. It says Jesus is the firstborn of creation, and many people through the ages have have wrestled about this. Is Jesus uh, created being, but I want you to see here what Paul is saying is Jesus as the image of God. God is actually, he's saying he's the firstborn of creation. He's greater than anything that you can see. In fact, we can confirm this by looking at the next verse in Colossians 1.16 that tells us Jesus is the creator of all things. He can't create himself, <laughs> Colossians 1.16 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. Now, want you see here, here is the language that the Bible normally talks about God, and now it's being applied to the Son, Christ. In Genesis 1.1, the Bible claims, In the beginning or the beginning, if you know that joke, God created the heavens and the earth. We also get hints of this in Proverbs chapter 8, where it speaks of wisdom being the master workman at the side of God through which He was creating everything. And here in Colossians, it's revealed to us that the creative power of God, the very creation itself was made through the Son. He is the Creator. By Him, Jesus, all things were made. Everything we know on heaven and earth and beyond. All things seen and unseen created by Him. It points to the the spiritual nature of the world that we live in. There are forces and things outside of our purview and thought. And even these were created by Christ, God Himself. And it also says that Jesus is above all these things. If He created them, He's greater than them. Listen, whatever you see going on in the world, in the governments, flexing their power, maybe you're fearful of unforeseen spiritual powers. Paul reminds us that Jesus is bigger than all of those things. In fact, He made all of those things. You know, we kind of like Halloween in Utah, right? Everybody's been out there getting out their Halloween decorations. Some of them are kind of scary. <laughs> and, and And kids, I want you to hear this. Maybe you're a little scared of the things that, out, or that are out there, right? You see the decorations, like, man, those things keep me up at night. Sometimes my kids have bad dreams, right, and they're scared of what's out there. But this says whatever's out there, Jesus is better. He's bigger, and he created them, and he's in charge. So if we know Jesus, there's nothing to be afraid of in the spiritual world because he is Lord. Colossians 1.16, this is also really important. It tells us the purpose of creation. It says all things were created by Christ and for Christ. This means there is a there is a purpose to this world. That, that the things in the world, all, our lives, everything, that there is a purpose. And that's to reflect back to God what He is like. We are to glorify Christ. Listen, we live in a world that is desperately looking for for meaning and purpose in life. And Paul is saying right here, you are created by Jesus and for Jesus. Glorifying Jesus is your purpose. You are created to be a worshiper of Christ. And if you want to live life to the fullest, let me tell you, it's found right here. It's found in giving yourself to Christ and living for that very purpose, living for Him. If you were created by Jesus and for Jesus, then you will find your greatest joy in life when you live for Him. It's kind of like using, you know, sometimes our lives are kind of like using a good tool for the wrong purpose. Like a couple months ago, I was working on the brakes on my truck, and I've done many brakes on many vehicles before. I'm like, oh, this will take me no big deal. Do the back brakes on my truck, go to the front, and guess what Ford did on the front of their brakes? They got this stupid star drive system that you got to have a special tool for. So what did I do as a good American? I got out a screwdriver and tried to make it work. It didn't go so well, right, until I went to the store and bought the right tool, and then it went like that after wrestling with it for a couple hours, (laughs) And so many times in our lives, we, we live for the long, wrong things. We want to glorify ourselves. We want to be about ourselves. And guess what? It only ends badly. <laughs> you end up with a, script, a stripped screw and a broken screwdriver, right? But when we begin to live for the purpose that God made us, giving our lives to Christ and to live for Him, then there is great blessing and joy to be found. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is what our lives are to be about. Listen, at different points in my life, God has come to me and said, Are you going to be about yourself or are you going to be about me? And every time I've said, God, I want to live for you, then I've found great joy, I've found great blessing, I've found great relationships in the church. It's been such a blessing. God wants us to be about what He created us for, to live for Jesus, to cast off the things that hinder us. So you were created by Jesus and for Jesus, and you will find your greatest joy when you're living for Him. Now, not only is Jesus the creator of our world, but look at the next verse, Colossians 117. It says, Christ is the sustainer of all things. And I've always loved this verse. This verse says, look, those electrons that are spinning around the nucleus of the atom that make up the aluminum that makes up my carabiner that I just took a big whipper on, held together by Jesus, Right? held together by Jesus. I can depend on the properties of this metal because Jesus holds it together. He made it and he holds it together. Everything you love in this world, think about it. Jesus sustains it. Jesus makes it happen. I, I Back along when there was a DJ in Nashville on the big 98, I don't know if anybody ever heard that show, but uh, he would often talk about, he had this theory that one day all the bolts in the world, like a nut and a bolt, one day they were just all going to get tired and go, you know, I've had enough. and uh, They're just going to go, oh, and everything's going to fall apart, right? That was his theory. But this verse says that that's not going to happen because Jesus holds it together. And until he says enough, it's going to be there. Hebrews 1 3, again, it says, He upholds the universe by the word of His power. That's a great verse. I was looking in the telescope off our back deck with the kids just a couple weeks ago, looking at Jupiter and Saturn. You know, Jupiter was as close to the Earth as it's been in 50 years. We could see it and faintly see the stripes on it and the moons circling about it and Saturn and its rings. And you know what this verse says? Jesus keeps those things in orbit. Jesus keeps our earth in its orbit. Water does what water does because Jesus keeps its properties about it. And this verse is saying that your very heart keeps beating day after day because Jesus upholds you. Think about that for a second. If Jesus is the creator and sustainer of our world, then we should give our lives to Him, right? If He is the creator and sustainer of our world, then He is able to sustain you and take care of you no matter what you are going through. He created you, He knows what you need, and He can take care of you. He upholds the universe by His word. He can uphold me. And this is kind of a crazy and scary thing, right, that Jesus holds us in our hands. At any one moment, He could let us go, and yet He doesn't. He says He's a loving God. He cares about you and your things, even when we're opposed to Him. Even in our darkest hour, Jesus sustains you. And let your heart keep beating. In fact, 1 Timothy 2.4, I think, speaks to this. He says, look, God desires all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of Him. That's why He sustains you. Get Romans five eight. God shows His love for the, us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's sustaining you when you're His enemy, and He's doing things to bring you into His kingdom, even when you're far from Him, because He loves us so greatly. And He won't do that forever. In fact, the Bible urges us, don't test His patience. There'll be a time when He says, enough is enough. And so the Bible calls us Hebrews 3 and in 2 Corinthians 6, it says, listen, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Come to Christ, make him Lord, become a worshiper of him. As we come to the last two things this poem tells us and celebrates the preeminence of Christ, it talks more about our salvation now. In verse 1, 18 and 19, it says, look, Christ is preeminent. He is God and he is head of the church. It says he is head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. This points us to the fact that Jesus is the head of all things, including the church. Jesus is the head of God's church. Listen, it's not meant to be about men, it's not meant to be about politics. It's not meant to be about money. It's meant to be about worshiping Christ because He is everything. He is preeminent. It says He is the firstborn from the dead. This speaks to the fact that God, Christ went to the cross and He died and then He rose again. God vindicating Him and His sacrifice but also giving us hope that if we are included in Him, we will follow Him out of death into resurrection. He's the first one that did that so we can have hope. And the gathering of the body of Christ is Jesus being the firstborn of those that are being ushered into the new creation. He's creating a new society that has been transformed in their heart, and one day we will live with Him in a new kingdom that He is ushering in. And He will be Lord of all. He sits at the right hand of God, currently Lord of all. And one day all those invisible things will be revealed and he will be Lord of everything. And every knee will bow to him. Now the last thing this poem tells us is that he is our peacemaker with God. Look at verse 120. It says, Through him... To reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. This is the gospel, right? That through Jesus, we can have peace with God. That we were created by God to be in relationship with Him. And we broke that relationship through Adam and Eve in the garden. They sinned against Him and were cast out. Of relationship with Him and all of us as Adam and Eve's progeny have been cast out and we run far from God, we rebel against Him. And yet in Christ, there's a way for us to find peace with God and be in relationship with Him. Romans 3.23 talks about how all of us rebel against God says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none of us that start in relationship with Him. In fact, we run far from Him. Ephesians 2, 1-3 through 3 says, We were dead in our trespasses and sins, following the world, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. We needed to make peace with God. Our sins had estranged us from God, and Paul is telling us that Christ... Come in human flesh, his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, was perfectly equipped to become our mediator to God so that we can have peace with him and gain a relationship with him. That he has reconciled all things through his blood and made peace. Do you want peace with God? You want peace in your heart with the things you wrestle with, the sins that you've committed, those things from last night that you go, I don't even want to think about that stuff. The Bible says peace can be made through Christ. In fact, as Paul goes on in this passage we're going to read now, Colossians 1, 21 through 23, Paul tells us how it is possible that we can find peace with God and how we include ourselves In salvation. Look at these couple verses. It says, And you, you were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's what we've just said. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting. From the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. So I want you to see what Paul is saying here. He's saying that Jesus saved you by his life and death on the cross. And this is how he did it. We've talked about this before, the great exchange. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's the idea. Christ lived a perfect life. He was completely righteous before the Father. He followed all the laws, and yet the Father asked Him to go to the cross. And at the foot of the cross, what does Jesus do? He takes on His shoulders all of our sin, all sin from time and eternity, things you did in the past things you're going to do this afternoon, things you're going to do five years from now. God was willing to place those on the shoulders of Christ, pour out His wrath upon Jesus so that in exchange He'll give you His righteousness, that He lived perfectly. And so when we say, God, I want Jesus to be my Lord, Please forgive me for my sins. He takes your sins, and he puts them on the cross, and they are done with, and he puts Christ's righteousness on you, and he says you are holy and blameless, and there is no condemnation for you anymore. You have been made right with me. And so we receive Jesus' work on the cross by confessing Jesus as Lord. 1 John 1.9 says this, one of the best verses in the Bible. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Right? That we could stand holy and blameless and above reproach by him. And the Bible says this is all by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast because Jesus is preeminent. (laughs) We're going to boast in what Jesus did, not what we did. There's nothing I can do to make myself right before God other than to say Jesus is Lord. It's all about what Jesus did. And God in His grace then saves us it is a gift of God, and we begin to live life with Him. And some of us need to confess Jesus for the first time this morning. I know that some of you here are, are trying to come back to faith. Maybe you're checking out Christ for the first time. and you need to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and then all of this comes our way. We're counted as righteous. And Paul does speak to an element of perseverance here. He says, look it, once you become Christ, then you've got to persevere. And it's not easy living as a Christian, right? We're holy and blameless before God, but we're still learning to put sin out of our heart. We're still learning to walk in His ways. We're still dealing with the world that will hate you as you follow Jesus. And Paul says you got to keep going. And being a part of the body of Christ week by week is one of the best ways to keep persevering. And Paul calls us, as we saw last week in Colossians 1.10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. God has saved you, called you his son, now walk as a son of his, knowing that God has shown you grace and mercy. And Paul also says, look, at, if we're going to make it as Christians in this day, you got to stay stuck on the gospel. you got to keep your mind and your heart stuck on the gospel. It's the only way. Never move off the gospel your whole life That Jesus came and he died for you because he loves you and through him you stand blameless before him. There is no greater truth and every time we sin we have to remind ourselves of the gospel. God loves me, he put my sin away on the cross, I'm going to get up and I'm going to keep following him. This is how we keep moving forward. At my lowest low and my highest high I am loved the same by God because of what Jesus did on the cross. In fact, Paul, one of my favorite verses, three, thirteen, and 14, says, look at, in the gospel we forget what lies behind all the things that came before, and we keep looking forward to the prize, the upward call in Christ as he is sanctifying us and making us his own. Now, Ben, you can come on up. We're going to read one more passage here. Colossians 1, or Colossians, Colossians, that would be rain boots. That's not a book of the Bible. Colossians 1, 24 through 29 says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and even in my flesh. I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's not saying there was something deficient in what Jesus did, rather that Paul is following in Christ's footsteps and he's suffering for the church now that Jesus has ascended. He said, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me, for you, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that may we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I struggle with all the energy that God works in me. This is what Paul is saying here. This gospel, this mystery hidden for ages, is that God is redeeming the whole world. The gospel is for everyone, wherever you're from, whatever race you are, wherever you've been. The gospel is for everyone. And he's saying, Colossians, you know it. Because you're Gentiles and God has come to you. The cool thing about this is to think that God in eternity past was thinking about me and he was thinking about you and he was thinking about you and everyone in this room when he said, I'm going to save this people. That's names and faces that he put to that. This is the mystery that God is saying, I want everyone. I want everyone to come make Jesus Lord and follow Him. That in that, we could have hope. Here's the fruit of the gospel. That as we accept Christ in our life, He begins this process of maturing us. And eventually, we will stand before Him completely mature, grown up, completely free of our sin, mature in Christ because of what Jesus has done. So Paul, what he's been telling us this morning, that Christ is preeminent above all things. He's God. He surpasses all things. He's greater than all things. He's the image of God. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the head of the church. He's the firstborn of the dead. All the fullness of God dwells in him. He's God. God that he deserves our lives and to be worshipped by him with everything that we are so the question Paul leaves us is are you going to make Christ Lord of your life are you going to learn to worship him this is who he is are you going to follow him the same God came in flesh has made a way for you to be in relationship with him Christ's sacrifice has satisfied God's wrath. We stand holy and blameless before Him. We bring our brokenness to the cross and we get His righteousness. This is the grace of God. Will you make Him Lord of your life? Will you become a worshiper of Him? As I said before, I know there's some of you in here that don't know Jesus. We're going to have a time as we come to a close. I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you want to become a follower of Jesus, you pray with me. You pray the heart of that prayer with me as I do that. And then I want you to let somebody know so that we can help you grow. Others of you have been walking with Him for a long time. And it's not bad for us to confess again and say, Jesus is Lord. And again, God, I want to follow you of everything that I am. Lord, help me to persevere as a believer in Jesus in these days some of us like Paul need our hearts we know who Jesus is we know what he's done for us and as Paul said I was compelled to be a minister of the gospel we need to go out and tell others the gospel's for everyone who are you going to go and tell whatever God's calling you to respond this morning let's respond to him as we pray and as we sing Father we thank you for sending your son God I want to confess a few things this morning, some of us for the first time, Father, we want to say that I now see that Jesus is Lord, you are Lord, Christ. And Lord, I want to give you my life, I give you all that I am, everything about me, Lord, take it glory. I want to glorify you. Lord, please forgive me for my sins and the ways that I run far from you. Lord, may you take my sins and place them on the cross and God, may you in exchange give me your righteousness. Lord, thank you for saving me and help me now to walk as a child of yours. Father, help us to be empowered to go out from this place to tell the world about Christ, that they may be saved May your kingdom come and your will be done on this earth as it is in heaven.